Guys, we have Shane Tino with us here in the booth. Super excited to have Shane with us today. I think Shane is Australia's greatest male content creator. And the reason I say that, Shane, is I'm going to rally off um, a a list of brands that you have worked with. And this will give people an idea of why, why I have just said that. So we've got Bentley Motors, the NBA, the AFL, Ralph Lauren, Hermes, Fendi, Samsung, French Connection, Zegna, Hennessy, Givenchy, Crocs, Guess, Burberry, Smirnoff, PayPal, Tommy Hilfiger. That's not even half the brand. Oh, I'm barely got a breath. <laughs> oh my God. I, I'm. Th- I got to make that clear. That's probably a, a tenth of the brands you've worked with, Shane. That's insane. Yeah, we're very selective. There was probably another thousand. <laughs> Honestly, it feels very humbling hearing you like read them out. Like sometimes you you get caught up in the in the speed of things, and like just listening to you say it. It's, I, even I can't believe it myself. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible body of work you put together. Thank you. And I mean, we're, we're certainly going to dive into those brands and those experiences just before we do that, Shane. I'd love to hear, we, we met you yesterday, first time formally. Um, so we know a little bit about you, but I'd love to know a bit about your childhood and sort of your, your come up. Yeah, so I was uh, born in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mum was a, a politician and basically uh, she worked like for the opposition party at the time. The, our leader back then, Robert Mugabe, was running uh, the country, but he was a bit of a dictator. Yeah. Um, so it was unsafe for my family at the time. And mum had some connections in like immigration in New Zealand and UK. So we had to make a quick decision on where we'd relocate to. And we got a quick response from New Zealand. So we literally packed up and moved our whole life to New Zealand. Wow. So I was about eight years old at the time. Um, and yeah, there were many challenges growing up in New Zealand. It was like the town we moved to, Gisborne. We were one of the first like African families. Um, so going to high school and like to primary school there, kids had just seen a black person for the very first time. Wow. And yeah, I, I faced a lot of like racial challenges during that experience. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's that yeah, far out. And how long were you there uh, in Gisborne for? Um, we lasted, I think, just under 10 years. Um, and one of the reasons why we ended up leaving, one, mum knew that there were more African families in Australia that, and it would be an easier life to transition into. Uh, it got to a point where people were, were stoning our house. Oh, shit. shit. Like, and, you know, I, had, I, t- I have two younger brothers um, and I used to walk them to, from primary to home, just because it got like really got really unsafe for us. Damn. Um, yeah, so we relocated to uh, a small town in Victoria called Swan Hill uh, early in two thousand and Dece- sorry December two thousand and ten, and then I started year eleven in Swan Hill, and I did year eleven and twelve, and then I moved to Bendigo. Wow. And Bendigo was kind of like my first touch into. Big city. <laughs> Sounds like cool that. <laughs> oh, we love yeah. that. What a journey, man. What was that transition like for you coming here to Melbourne in year 11, Victoria in year 11? What was that feeling like leaving New Zealand? Uh, I was scared because I didn't know what to expect on this side. Um, but I also knew that it's a new chance and a new opportunity to create a new life. And yeah, so... I was very lucky. We lived across the road from a football oval. 
And before I even started school that year, one of the kids who I went to school with was kicking the footy in early January and my brothers went across the road, started kicking the ball with him and it turned out that he was going to the same school I was going to. So I was able to make a friend um, before starting school, So which made it uh, a lot easier to go into a new school and he introduced me to everyone and it kind of kicked off like a wel- welcoming environment for me. Wow, that's awesome. And did your family um, settle down in Swan Hill? Like, did they feel like that was kind of home at that point? Yeah, at that point we felt uh, really good to live there. But the moment I finished high school, I knew that the town was too small for like all my ambitions. Even I remember sitting in, in year 12, just knowing like, I don't want to go to uni. Like, it's not for me. Um, I can't live in this town. I want to work in fashion. And I just don't know how I can do that. And I would ask teachers and they couldn't give me an answer. Um, but I just knew that it wasn't going to happen for me in Swan Hill. So I, the moment I finished school, I literally told my mum, I'm going to move to Bendigo. Um, and yeah, and basically during year 12, I was doing a school-based electoral apprenticeship and I was doing trade school in Bendigo. So during that time, I'd go once a month and spend a week in Bendigo. I, I fell in love with the bigger town. Yeah. Um, and I met people there who were like in the music and fashion scene so it was kind of like a driving factor to kind of literally pack up and go the moment I finished school and just take a punt and move there so what do you, what do you think that was you know through high school you, you you just knew university wasn't on the cards like how did you know it was fashion and where did it, where do you think that came from I just like I knew the way my brain kind of processes things like I couldn't sit in a classroom like still and like actually take anything on um I found it really difficult to process things like that but I always excelled in like hands-on activities, you know, in, in woodwork, I'd finish top three in the class. And um, so, yeah, it kind of made me realize, and that's that's how I ended up actually picking a trade. Um, and then very quickly after doing that, I realized that that also wasn't for me. Um, so I kind of knew I had to leave the small town and go out and look for something bigger and greater. Yeah, man, thanks for sharing. And have you been able to get back to Zimbabwe since? Um. When we were living in New Zealand, we used to go every three years, but ever since moving to Australia, I personally haven't been able to go back. My uh, family has. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping I can go next year, but yeah, I f- feel like it's going to be a very emotional trip. Mm. Yeah. I can imagine, man. Yeah, you still have lots of family there? Yeah, literally um, all my cousins, everyone I grew up with, uh, yeah, all, all over there still. We've been trying to bring family over bit by bit, but it, it is tough and it's uh, with immigration and it's also uh, very expensive. So, but yeah, we, um, we're we fortunate enough to bring my cousin over in December, uh, who I grew up with. She's literally a year younger than me. Um, and ne- yeah, now she's living with my mum in Bendigo. And That's awesome. It's been so nice to see that. And, you know, she's getting the opportunity to come live in this country and create, um, you know, wealth and able to support people back home so it's Mm. yeah it's really good sounds like your mum is a really strong woman to have picked up you know your life in zimbabwe like that and flown to you know flown her three sons out to new zealand and yeah it was um she's like she's a big inspiration for me um you know like we lost our father at a probably like three years after we got to new zealand and um you know my mum literally just had to 
just pick up and go and just watching that as a child and knowing that you know you just have to step up for family when required it taught me a lot about like morals and values um and yeah like you know i'm very close with mum and we have an amazing relationship i also have a small business with mum on the side which is yeah it's been very nice to kind of be able to work with her and um yeah and spend a lot of time with my family at the moment in bendigo it's awesome man well, that's awesome yeah it's uh, yeah i really appreciate being so open about all that shane it's um it's really ma- made it clear in my mind you know the one word i'd associate with you through our conversations is like independent the way you've been able to work with all these brands independently the way you've run your own brands you know independently and i think you know a lot of that would probably derive from your mum's independence yeah man that's very special and just to digress quickly i actually first heard about you a few years ago you're working with my brother Luke. You guys yes. are both models, yeah. <laughs> I, I know you, you guys are looking at Shane on right now, and it's it's no surprise. Um, oh, put some COVID weight on. Besides <laughs> that, come on now, um, healthy weight. Um, and yeah, I, I actually remember vividly. I think it was a uh, a Jack London runway, if my mind serves me. Yes. You, oh my God. Yeah. Memory. I was there. I was there. I was in the crowd. Um, wasn't on the catwalk, unfortunately. But um, yeah, you and Luke. Um, and Luke would always speak you know, really positively about you. And so that's how I first heard about this Shane guy, Vivian and Ingmar, working with all the brands. I was, I was pretty fascinated about you. Um, so I guess tell us, I'd love to know I'd, a little bit about that modeling journey. Yeah. Um, to be honest, your brother was one of the kind of people I latched onto and we are, the, the industry is, is small and sometimes it's very competitive. So I don't know, we got along really well and kind of always ended up working on the same jobs and built a, um, like a work friendship and it, yeah, it was great. It was always someone I could lean on. Mm. So it's fun to actually share that with you. It's surprising because literally I only just met you yesterday for the first time, but Crazy. I've known your brother for a long time. Um, yeah. Modeling was a very interesting one. I, so when I, when I was living in Bendigo, I moved in with a DJ mm. and so he was like running a nightclub in Bendigo called Hoo-Ha um, and he, he stopped, taught me how to DJ. So I got into DJing, I think I was about 20 at the time. And through DJing, I started having brands reach out to me to send me clothes to wear to gigs. And that's where I even got more like in love with fashion. Mm. And I realized something. So I was like, well, the brands are sending me products because they want me to wear it to the gigs. There must be something here. So I actually reached out to one of the brands um, uh, called Neverland and basically I asked for a job I said I want to move to Melbourne I'll do anything you want me to do is there an opportunity with you guys and they the one of the owners said come meet us we'll have a meeting with you and they offered me a job in their retail shop I literally packed up my life and I moved to Melbourne wow just like that a week <laughs> later um and yeah and I started working in their retail store at the time they had one store today they have 30 um mm. and yeah the owner took a liking you know to me with my drive and my excitement for the industry he started to use me as a model Mm. um out of nowhere so i was like oh i want to use you for the website i was like oh this is interesting is i'll pay you a little bit extra i'm like okay (laughs) um and yeah i started doing a couple of shoots for small brands and then from that that led to i got a, a dm from the marketing manager of factory out of nowhere and she literally said i think it was a 
Friday afternoon. She said, come to my house. I, I need to see you this afternoon. Um, so I finished work, went to Port Melbourne. She took a quick look at me and she said, I'm going to book you for a job. It's on Monday. It's a two-day shoot and we're going to pay you 8K. Whoa. Wow. And <laughs> 21 at the time working wow. in retail. My <laughs> mind just went, huh? <laughs> like what's going on? Um, yeah, so I, I quickly realized that there's something here. Um, I can hope there's something I, there. <laughs> I, I, did the, I, I was able to do the job and then literally that week I got an, an agent and that's how my modeling journey started. And then from wow. there, being seen on factory campaign led to um, other campaigns, industry, Maya. And then I ended up resigning uh, at the company and then I literally started modeling full time. Wow. So... so can only imagine, you know, you're working with a whole ton of brands um, and you're, you know, you're 21 at the time, you're super passionate about the fashion industry. Are you just like a, a sponge in those environments taking it all in? Yeah, man. I um, Even some of the shoots, you know, you, as a model, you, you just kind of expected to stand there and people were throwing clothes onto you. But me loving clothing, you know, I'd ask about the fabrics. Oh, like, you know, the, the, the designers would be at the shoots as well. And I'd be asking, oh, what's the process? Like, where are you getting these made? And sometimes <laughs> it, it came across annoying, like, what's this? You need yeah. to just shut up and, like, do your job. But no, I, I literally took everything in. And um, But my personality was half the reason why I also got work in the industry. So um, just being friendly and being keen to learn, uh, brands took a liking and I always got rebooked a lot. And that was, like, kind of the, the surviving factor of growing in the industry for me. And talk us through traveling the world doing that. So you've obviously worked with some of the biggest brands in the world and they've flown you, you know, to Europe, to America. How was that experience as like a young 20-year-old? Oh, it um, I still pinch myself today, you know, and, you know, just looking back and thinking, oh, I don't want to go to uni. And then at 21, um, brands would want to fly me to to like America. So one of my first jobs, so I did a campaign with YD and I was working across with the brand quite a lot. And then one of the, the marketing manager contacted me and said, Hey, look, I'm going to fly you to um, Las Vegas. We're going to shoot this big campaign there. You know, everything is paid for, we'll pay you while you're there. And I just, I couldn't believe it because I've always dreamt of traveling to the U S and I knew I couldn't do it on my own. Um, but yeah, and then that opportunity led to other shoots, like other companies flying me overseas. You know, I had coach fly me to New York for Fashion Week. Um, and I remember like sitting front row next to Michael B. Jordan. Um, and, you know, as a young kid from Swan Hill, let alone New Zealand, then Zimbabwe, it was just like, you know, I'm sitting next to a movie star and I'm like, I can't, why am I sitting front row? at fashion week in New York, like, I can't believe it. Right. And just like opportunities after opportunities would come and yeah, I just tried to, you know, keep a strong head and just take it all in and absorb. But very fortunate while I was doing all of that, it made me love clothing more and more. So my passion just grew to want to kind of dive deeper into fashion. I love, you know, back to the word independence for a minute, like, the fact that you just left everything in Bendigo in that week straight down here for a retail job, like not some glorious opportunity, just a modest beginning. But for you, it was like, cool, 
anyone can get a foot in. And, you know, you're modeling, you again, he put it forward to you. You could have said no, like, could have got a bit, oh, self-conscious, oh, I don't yeah. know. Like, cool, let's go. And, you know, you just, you're taking those opportunities as they arose and then it all sort of blew up. And it's I think for anyone listening, it's like just no matter how small the opportunity seems, you've got to take it. Yeah, and I think one of the big things I've learned as well is don't be afraid to also ask for opportunities. And, like, you know, it took me uh, saying, hey, I'm actually keen for a job. Is there anything available? That first step can lead to anything. You can so also much. get a no, but it's better to ask than yeah. not to. Love it, man. I love it. So from there, you've there's a we did hear this incredible story yesterday. I can't wait for you to repeat it. So your modeling career, it's you know, you've done it for years. I saw it with my brother, it's pretty you know, it's not all what it seems to be. It's a bit uh, mundane. You're doing sort of the same shoots, as you say, people are just throwing clothes on you. I guess it comes to that expiry date. And for you, you're at the races. You had this life-changing chat. Yes, I was uh, at the races in 2019, uh, just prior to COVID. And uh, this this woman that had known about me for a while, she literally approached me and said, hey, um, why don't you get into content? I run a content agency and I think you'd do really well. And, you know, at the time I was very comfortable with what I was doing. I was... Um, getting like you said getting a lot of kind of like repeat work and you get kind of stale and you just accept how things are going um, but when she told me that it kind of knocked me back you know I'm like content and as a model um, content industry was frowned up on like influencers the word influencer was like uh, it was like dirt to, to the industry really because people models were like oh we work so hard to maintain shape and now brands are paying influencers to shoot content like really started to uh detract modeling work from models to more content creators um so at first i was like oh, why would i do that that's like people are going to look down up on like on me you know um but yeah i took a couple of weeks to kind of think and we caught up for a coffee um and yeah i i i said yes Let's, let's have a crack. And she said, you know what? Um, before you sign any contract, I'm going to do, do you a favor and I'm going to show you like what this industry can do for you. She said, I want to book your trip overseas. You're going to go to New York Fashion Week. I'm going to book uh, X, Y amount of work for you. And she, she basically said, I want to book you 20 grand of work in one week. Wow. And I was like, no way, I, I, I don't believe this, right? And she said, I want to double your salary from last year, just let me do it. I took a s- uh, sit back, I got a call a week later, your flights are booked. You know, send me your details, I'm booking your flights today, here's the accommodation, I've got you one, two, three, four jobs. So she got me, I did a job with Uniqlo, I did a takeover for Emporium Shopping Centre, um, and then she got me invitations to, I went to a coach show, uh, Reg and Bone, um, Dion Lee, uh, what else? A couple of other shows. And like, Crazy. And, and I was there meeting other creators in New York and, you know, just, and again, America to me is the uh, epitome of uh, marketing and fashion. So it was really exciting to be there being paid to 
do that, but from a content creator point of view. So I was literally just creating content for brands and I was able to experience all these amazing, amazing things. Yeah. Wow. What were the what were the main differences going from like a modeling background into that content world? Like, was there much of a transition there for you? They gave you creative freedom. So when you're a model, uh, the brand organizes the whole shoot. Um, you literally just rock up. They have the, all their concepts done. You're just the model. When you're a content creator, the brand wants to tap into your ideas and your vision. Mm-hmm. And so I'd be given a like a small brief of, here are the garments we want you to shoot. Do that in your best possible way. It's obviously an extremely competitive environment, especially mm. today. What do you think helped you cut through and stand out from everyone else in, in that journey? Came back from New York uh, two months later, COVID hit and stopped. Works just stopped, right? And I remember just sitting in my room. We had the, the lockdowns here in Victoria. You couldn't leave the house after nine only go to the supermarket you could visit a friend like it was just insane and I just remember sitting in my room I'm like what am I going to do you know I'm very limited at the time I was living in uh Thomastown in the northern suburbs so it's not really a pretty environment for content I couldn't even go outside to shoot something cool around the corner um so I ordered a camera online and I got a ordered a backdrop like two different colored backdrops and I set up like kind of like a photo shoot environment in my room at home and i'll sometimes move my couch and set it up in the lounge room um which i started creating content just organic content for myself doing like uh styling videos at home and just tried to really tap into my creativity because there was literally nothing else to do but from doing that brands started recognizing what i was doing and they started to send me product and then literally two weeks later i get my first job during COVID with the Iconic, which then led to another job with Foot Locker. And I was literally shooting um, a social campaign from my house, which, because other states were still open. I remember Foot Locker ran the campaign through their TVs, in-store print, and I would get people interstate sending me photos. Oh, wow, like you've done, you know? And so it was, it was challenging, but it was also kind of exciting. It pushed me to, to find new ways to, to be clever and to try and create different content from everyone else. I just love the fact that you showed the humility to almost start again, really. You've just come back from New York Fashion Week. You've worked with the biggest brands in the world, Mm. modeling, and now you're stuck in, you know, Thomastown Mm. during COVID. And like, you're like, what am I like? That's, that's all well and good. I've all done that, but Mm. now's the most important time. Yeah, exactly. How do I pay rent? Literally, That's what I was thinking at the time. Yeah. And, and yeah. for you to start again to, you know, buy, like, I'm sure lots of people after modeling for coach and places like that, like, they're not going to, you know, start shooting in their bedroom, you know, with a camera they've just bought and some drop sheet. And for you to do that, I think is just incredible. And it says a lot about who you are and why you are where you, you are today. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. You know, even fast forward to today and, you know, you've brought your personal photographer here, you know, the level of your content and how serious you take this is a testament to you and hence why every brand wants to work with you and you being independent buying that camera having the humility to just do it and and then letting your creative your creativity flow you know I, I think Shane it's literally the reason why we think you're the greatest male content creator in Australia because you don't let you don't get a big head a big ego from what you've done you just reset and go again no thank you I think um 
one thing that traveling taught me was I was lucky enough to get those opportunities. It also allowed me to look at other influencers and creators overseas, people I started to look up to. And one thing I noticed about people overseas, just very humble about their work. And on, on the flip side, a lot of them did things with the team. So it was always about like building a team to create this level of work. And so when I came back, I, I kind of took that mentality on. I uh, kept following those international creators and I started to, I, I sat there and thought, how can I elevate myself and my content? I've already got a camera. I'm doing this as much as I can by myself and it, I think it's good, but how do I get better? How can I be as good as the guys internationally? So I started to uh, reach out to other creatives, other photographers and videographers and um, I'd create mood boards and say, this is what I want to achieve. Can we do this together? And from there, it led to kind of like this this drive and passion for like high quality content. And yeah, it's it's really made like, it's allowed me to work with those brands today because they they see what the international creators are doing over there. So they were like, when if someone's doing it locally here, it allows them to tap into local creators as well. So mm-hmm. it's kind of opened up opportunities, taking that mentality on. Speaking of opportunity, Shane, I don't know how you fit in with your schedule, but you also own a retail brand. You have a shop in your hometown of Bendigo. I'd love to dive into past, present and future. Now, obviously, post-COVID, I, I learned a lot about retail. Um, and I knew that my journey in wanting to, you know, work in fashion, it's it's not just for me. It's, it's not, it doesn't have, like, it's not to do with financial success as such. And, yes, we all need money to, to get by and obviously to live and to support the lifestyle. Um, but the passion always outweighed uh, no matter how difficult it was. So I knew that there's nothing else I wanted to do. So after COVID, I was looking around uh, Melbourne for affordable rent because one thing I learned from retail experience was if you do have a shop, you can break even at the start and it can actually set up your business for success long-term if you can manage and bring your costs low. So I knew if I just worked in the shop myself, I, I'm gonna, I don't have to pay someone. Mm. So that's one cost down. Mm. And I go from break even, now I might make a little bit of money, a little bit of profit. And if I do that for a while, I'll make a little bit, little bit, little bit, and yeah. then I can reinvest into the business. So I knew there was a model there. It was just, you had to do the hard yards and grind. Put the time in. Yeah, so I looked around, you know, High Street Armadale, inquired about some leases, but it was like $80,000 a year. Yeah. You know, I look in the city, they're wanting 150000 a year. I looked at Chapel Street and there's no foot traffic, but they still want 50000 a year. And I started to do the maths. I'm like, how am I going to pay for this? It's unsustainable. And it's still like retail is still a bit quiet. You know, we're mm-hmm. just coming out of COVID. I started to spend a lot of time back in Bendigo where my family still lives. Um, I started to just inquire about the rent. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll just check it, check it out and see what the, what the rent's like. Um, and then, you know, it was about 25, you could get decent space, 25,000. I'm like, that's not bad. You know, I could do that. So I put in, uh, I made an offer on a couple of locations and by luck, I got rejected on those offers (laughs) and I'll tell you why I got lucky. (laughs) Um, in that same street, I wanted to get the shop. Cotton on decides to pull three of their shops out. So it very quickly went from being one of the biggest 
slash busiest streets in Bendigo to becoming one of the quietest streets in Bendigo, just from the power of cotton on going, removing three of our stores out of this one street. A couple of months <laughs> later, this one location pop up pops up on this very hard street to get. And I did some research around the street and all the neighbours had been there for minimum of four years. But this shop literally became available. And by the time I found out, it had only been up on the market for less than a week. Picked up the phone, called the landlord. I said, I want this. I want the keys tomorrow. What do I need to do? And the shop is owned by Bendigo Bank. So Bendigo Bank is like the fifth largest bank in Victoria. They have their head office in, in Bendigo and they have a strip of shops. So what Bendigo Bank does is they try and support local uh, businesses in Bendigo. When I looked at the rent, it was tough and half thousand dollars a year. Wow. I'm like, huh? I'll pay for this next week. Like, <laughs> because to me, I was like, if I can pay for my rent up front, that's one stress yeah. gone, right? Yeah. My biggest stress in running a shop in Melbourne is the outgoings, the rent. For sure. And if I'm working the hours, mm. I can cover that. Mm. So the, the outgoings to run the shop is very low. I just need to get stock. And then one of my longest friends in Bendigo, he was doing a plumbing job and he was kind of getting to a point where he's over that and he always was very passionate about running a business. And one thing I learned from my past business experience was I was very um, well experienced on the creative side and I had picked up some very good skills over the years. But the day-to-day, -day, the operational side of things was definitely one of my weakest points. And it's definitely still one of my weakest points. So I knew that a key to my success I would have to partner up with someone who can support my weak weaknesses. Mm -hmm. So I decided to partner up with a friend. It was a hard decision because um, after realizing all the experiences I went through, I need to find the right person. Otherwise, it can also kill the business. I knew that because I travel a lot, I knew that I needed someone to support the business when I'm not there and also to help me with the back end and the financial side of things balance the books and make sure all the bills are paid on time. The important things that people forget about in fashion business. Yeah, I, I told him, hey, this is the, there's this lease available. I want it. Um, support me in this. I'm doing it with or without you. So, and he just said, nah, I'm in. Let's do it. Um, inquired. I literally called the landlord every single day that week. Uh, and I told him, call the bank. I want to sign this lease ASAP. I knew that after speaking to the neighbors, it was going to be gone very quickly. Mm. So yeah, got the lease wow. and that was September last year. And then we knew that we wanted to open before Christmas because Christmas retail is That's the best time of the year for fashion. Yeah. That's where people spend the most money on gifts and mm -hmm. going out. People have time off. Um, so we built the shop in about two and a half months, three months. It's a quick turnaround. We, we did everything ourselves as much as we could because we knew we couldn't afford to spend $100,000 on a fit out. So we literally had to do everything ourselves. So we would work. I'll drive from Melbourne to go to Bendigo and stay at my mum's house when I needed to, but we would do like 5 to 12 every night, 5 p.m. to 12 a.m. every single night, some 3 a.m. nights, every single day, right? And we knew that was, we, we had to do it. We couldn't afford to just go out, hire traders. Um, the only money we spent on was obviously like the the actual fixtures um, and we wanted the paint. We knew that the uh, visual part of the shop was the most important. Mm. So we spent just under five grand on paint, on getting a professional painter to come in and paint. I had this concept of, 
I wanted the shop to be blue. Mm. And I just knew that I wanted it to be different. Blue is my favorite color. I don't know why. <laughs> um, and I knew that I needed a point of difference. I wanted to build a hub for local creatives to come and hang out in. And visual part of it was very important for me. Mm. So we painted the shop blue. It's the very first shop. Blue and Bendigo, <laughs> any color. Normally everything's like white or... <laughs> Um, so that, that was taking a risk because we knew that Bendigo is a bit like very old school mentality. Conservative. Conservative, exactly right. And um, that could scare some customers. Well, it's a beautiful yeah. layout, man. I mean, all, all the hard work paid yeah. off. Yeah, the, Thank you. the fit out's incredible. It's crazy. I yeah. remember because you were posting it, you know, about six months ago now. And I was like, where, where is this? I was like, yeah. is this like in the middle of the city? Because <laughs> it's so futuristic looking. And mm. then when I like could not wrap my head around that was in Bendigo. So like, <laughs> which is such a cool thing that you've just like, gone from zero to a hundred. I'm like, so how's it been going the last few months? Yeah, we've been very happy, man. Like, um, you know, you hundred percent won't get like sales you get in Melbourne one purely because there's the foot traffic is not the same. There's sure. 120,000 people that live in Bendigo. So when you start to dive deep into the analytics, you know, the customer base that's shopping your product. Um, so I knew that the store wouldn't make, I wouldn't be doing Melbourne numbers. Yep. But I knew that if we build the store there and start there, we could build a beautiful base mm -hmm. and um, make profit to then reinvest into the business. So, and yeah, the shop's literally been profitable from the first week. Awesome. And when I say profitable, obviously we we had to we have to pay back um, all the money we spent on the fit out. So the fit out at the end of the whole experience, it cost us about twenty thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, and literally halfway through December, we had already covered. It's awesome. It's been hard because I kind of had to sacrifice a lot myself and my lifestyle here for in sure, Melbourne. For sure. Now I spend, you know, 50% of my time in Bendigo because if I'm not in the shop physically, um, I, we won't be able to grow the business mm. in the way of saving money that we can then reinvest into mm. stock and the future plan of the business. Are you still looking into the wholesale model? Yes. Yeah, so the, the model of this business uh, – is predominantly focused on wholesale and oh. online. Um, wholesale first because um, I, I just love being able to reach uh, a lot of people and I feel like Australia is, we might not see it in big cities, but the majority of Australia is country towns. Like, you know, there's four major cities. There's Brisbane, there's Melbourne, there's Sydney, Perth or Adelaide. Um, but, outside of those cities, there's a lot of Bendigos mm. and those people rely on local boutiques, local retail. So I knew that if I could get into local shops, it's a big part of the, the business I want to build. Um, yeah. So right now we just, we've been saving money to get into our first order of wholesale. We I haven't had any meetings on who I want to partner up with just yet, but I have spent the last week designing uh, product for all the rest of this year and probably halfway through next year. That's really exciting, man. And uh, Jack and I are happy to announce we're, we're definitely going to stock some coal plant garments at past, present, future in Bendigo. Wow. Yeah, that's that's probably our first stockist. So will be, yeah. Thank you, guys. Literally, yeah. this is the first time I'm hearing the, <laughs> the announcement, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, and I, I appreciate you guys wanting to come along on this journey with me as well. I love what you guys Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Like it's what you're doing, you know, uh, I just think it's so special coming back to your hometown, you know, yeah. coming full circle. You've been in New York, you've been all around the world. 
but for you to come back to your hometown and be like, it's giving back in my eyes. You know, there's a lot of young Shanes that are coming through that are maybe you know, a similar position at high school, a bit unsure, but they can come into your store, like a safe space, chat with you about your experiences, which, you know, evidently from this podcast, the crazy experiences and will help any young mm. person. Mm. So I, I love it, man. And that's where so keen to support that. Uh, I love what you guys do. So that means a lot to me and I've been following your journey for literally the first day. So walking into here and uh, seeing Digby in the background there, <laughs> you know, um, and I, I heard about the story of you moving interstate and, you know, it's I was inspired by that and it's probably subconsciously one of the big reasons why I was keen on moving um, my friend slash videographer, Ali, mm. who you guys seeing here. So yeah, um, thank you for inspiring other people and leading, you know, this space and what you guys do. Of course, man. Uh, I want to finish quickly on, so, you know, you've done some incredible things in the industry from, you know, model, content create, run major businesses, multiple businesses, wholesale, retail, you've done it all. I'd love to know, you know, what what is your mindset for, for business and, and just for life? Because I think, you know, you've had an incredible life up to this point and there's so much that people can take away from your story and I think your mindset would be a great a great place to, to kind of start with that. I think for me, what's most important is I, I have, I'm a strong believer in life is very short. And I think, you know, losing my father um, at a very young age taught me that tomorrow is never promised. And I know that sounds very cliche, but I, I got that drilled into me, you know, by my mom, literally the, since the age of 14. And so I always took, you know, those words on. And I knew that if I, if I'm doing something, I would give it my best because, uh, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. Um, and because I'm not guaranteed tomorrow, I'm going to live life how I want to. Um, and I knew that I want to work for myself. I love fashion. So no matter how, how much I fail, how many times I fall, um, I'll live literally the rest of my life working, not, it's not even work because I love it. Like yeah. it's it's me. So doing what I love every single day, no one will stop me, you know, unless it's, it's my time to go. Like right. that's, I know it sounds very emotional, but that is literally how I live my life. I Every opportunity I take on um, and I just embrace uh, people, I embrace experience, I embrace uh, travel. And I think you just got to just learn from everyone and just be open. Open-minded is is key to growth and just be okay to fail as well. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. Fucking really beautiful. Shane, yeah, you've got the uh, the hairs stand up on the back of my neck. That's a beautiful place to finish. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, man. We Thank you guys. It. Thank you for having me.